peace of Christ be with you. Welcome to worship. Let's take a few moments in a few deep breaths to be settled into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sisters and brothers, let us worship the living God. rise in body or spirit and join me in the call to worship. We have entered the wilderness, O Christ. Show us that you are with us. We are staring down temptation. Give us true sustenance. We are leaving what we do not need behind. Provide us with your cover and your care.
may be seated. Welcome to worship today. A special congratulations to you who made it, even with the time change. It's good to be here with you today. If uh, you're new here, a special welcome to you. I invite you after worship out to our patio for coffee and snacks. Time to get to know each other better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Oh God, you have promised to keep our going out and our coming in. May we slow down this Lenten season to recognize your Heighten our awareness of you and lessen our dependence on things which neither protect us nor sustain us. Open our hearts to your movement in the world and close us to prejudice and fear. Strengthen our trust in you and our commitment to one another. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that the love of God knows no bounds. Even when we go astray, God is with us and we are forgiven. We are set free. May we go forth with our courage renewed. Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children worshiping with us to come join Jeff here at the front. And as you come forward, kids, I bet there are some cans out there. If you could grab them and bring them forward. Oh my gosh, look over there in the choir. I see all cans everywhere. This is great. So make sure to snag some cans as you come. All of these cans are going to be donated to the Marin Food Bank. Oh, this is great. Oh, I still see some. Some over in the choir. I see one back there. Grab those cans. This is great. Good stuff, too. Amy's organic. Look at all of this. Thank you to those who have been bringing in cans for the Marin Food Bank. Next week, we're doing this throughout the Lenten season. Next week, we're going to be collecting canned chili. So you're welcome to bring in some chili next week. Well, when you, have, when you have that day where you spring forward an hour, we may lose an hour of sleep depending on when you go to bed. And the thing that you need to help get up in the morning is one of these. What is this? An alarm clock. Who here has an alarm clock in their room? I do. Is it cool? What kind of alarm clock do you have? A black one? Does anyone have one that looks more fun than this, like a cartoon character or something? No? no? Nobody? Oh, that's really... Bethany, do you? My no? alarm clock is sitting right there. That was it. 
I'm glad you said, because I noticed something for Lent. I thought it would be a good idea if I could wake up about 30 minutes earlier every day just to spend some time in prayer. I wasn't very good the first week at all. I did not do it at all the first week, but the second week I did much better. And I learned something. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's kind of embarrassing when I go, just kidding. But would this wake you up, do you think? No. It wouldn't wake you up? No, not, what if you like glued it to your head like this? Maybe if you glued it to your head, okay. Let me turn that one off. Let me see, how about, how about this one? Oh, that one's going to come on later maybe, let's see. Yeah, uh-oh, that one's, oh, I got to turn the alarm on first. That's the first function, isn't it? Okay, there we go. I have to tell you about this fun alarm clock I have here. This alarm clock, my mother and father bought one for me, bought one for my brother, and bought one for my sister, all in the early 1980s, okay? It's made by General Electric. I don't know if they make anything anymore that you could buy in a store, but it's a lot of fun. This is actually my brother's, and my brother is in the Army, and so this alarm clock traveled around the world, and it actually had some orthodontist wax stuck to it at one point. Because he had braces, and he, I don't know why he thought it would be fun to melt his wax on the, oh, and this is this alarm clock. Would this wake you up? This is my favorite part, because you can turn it up like that. Isn't this the best alarm clock ever? I just want to make this the worst time of discovery ever. Now, that alarm clock would wake a lot of people up because you could turn the volume up. So imagine just sleeping peacefully and then just wake straight up. But what if you were asleep for more than eight hours? What if you were asleep for one day or two days or three days? There is one of Jesus' best friends. His name was Lazarus. He was good friends with the whole family. He was asleep for more than, for what did we say, three days? Four days, a long time, to the point where they said he's probably not asleep. He might have passed away. Now, we think Jesus is a very special person. He's sort of like God inside and a human on the outside. Some of my closest friends say Jesus was God in the bod. And so he had these very special abilities to do things that no one else ever could before. So do you think he could wake Lazarus up if he was asleep for more than a day or two days or three days or four days? Well, we're going to go to our classes, and before you go, parents, I want you to know that your children, who is upstairs today, Cindy? Fourth and fifth grade is upstairs. Everyone else, please pick up your children at the end of the hallway, and let's see if Jesus can wake someone up that's been asleep for more than a few days. Oh, now So today, in, rather than our joys and concerns, which we often do, we're, instead today we're going to share in what's called a bidding prayer. And what I will do is offer various prompts for prayer. And then after each prompt, you are invited to offer your prayers. You can offer them out loud. You can offer them in silence. Um, and that way we will pray together. Some of you may speak at the same time. That's okay. You may not be able to hear everything that is said. That is okay. 
we will be in prayer together. And so I'm going to offer prompts for joys, for sorrows, for healing, for division and reconciliation, and for creation. So let us be in prayer together. Compassionate God, we gather today with much on our hearts and minds. We offer our prayers to you, trusting in your great love. God, we pray in gratitude for the joys and the blessings in our lives and in the world. God, we pray for those people and places in our lives and in our world living in grief and in sorrow. We pray for those people and places in our world in need of healing. We pray for that which divides us, that reconciliation may prevail. Racism and all of the other isms in our lives. We pray for those places and creatures in creation where and in whom your presence is made known to us. Gracious God, you hear our prayers, and for that we do give you thanks. Our prayers are offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Yes, we 
forgive our debts and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
The first scripture reading this morning is Romans 4, verses 1 to 5 and 13 through 17. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the gathered people of God. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him, who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who lives life to the dead and, excuse me, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Second reading is the 121st Psalm. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the gathered people of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. She who keeps Israel, she who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. She will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time on and forevermore. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. When in clinical pastoral training at a hospital, I had in my group a lovely Baptist man with a very strong faith, faith I admired. And whenever he prayed, he would begin by quoting the 121st Psalm, but like a good Baptist, he did it in the King's English. And so we'd sit there and he would start, I lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Hmm. As I heard it, I often 
heard it as if it was saying, your help comes from the hills, from the mountains, and who hasn't experienced God in that setting? Of course, if you listen closely, the psalm is actually the opposite of that meaning. It's a critique of finding God in the hills. But lest us folk from Marin run out of here and decide we'd rather be in the hills than in here, a little background will help. You see, the people of ancient Israel were enemies with a people called the Samaritans. That name is probably familiar to you. You know it from the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. And what makes that parable so shocking is that the hero of the story is a Samaritan, not a Jew. The Samaritans and the Israelites were both Semitic peoples, so they shared a lot in common, but they had important differences, and they were enemies. One of the major ways in which they differed was where they found God. Now, where did the people of Israel worship God? In the temple, right? The temple was in Jerusalem. You can guess by my setup where the Samaritans worshipped God. On the hills, on the mountains. So the Jews very much believed not only that the temple was the place to worship God, but that was actually where God resided. God lived in the temple. Where for the Samaritans, it was on the hillsides. So this psalm was a reminder to the people of Israel who they were and what their identity was through where they found God. Now, that might sound exclusive to you or me, but you have to remember these are a minority people, a small group in a very big world. And so to preserve their culture and their identity, they had to, they had to draw these kinds of lines. Because when you're a minority, if you don't keep your culture alive, you just assimilate into oblivion. Well, it turns out there's something else interesting about this psalm. It's a pilgrimage psalm. It's a chorus that would have been sung by Israelites making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And so the psalm was a prayer for their walking that they might have some divine presence along the way and that they might be led by God to God's house. As many of you know, I've spent a lot of time on pilgrimage lately and And so I know the value of a good song, as some of you do too, when you walk, to keep you going from time to time. And even though pilgrimages such as the one in ancient Israel would have had an important destination, the temple, it turns out, anybody who's ever done anything like that, call it a pilgrimage or a hike, you realize that a lot of the lessons are learned a lot along the way. And there's much to be gleaned from the journey itself. You learn to prepare when you go on a pilgrimage. You train so you prepare your body, but you also get your mind around what you're about to do. Uh, you, you try to get your heart and your intention in the right place. You learn to pack, and if you've done it more than once, you learn to pack lightly, because everything you carry that you think will be helpful is also something you have to be carry and becomes weight. And so lest you send things home every couple days, you don't bring them to begin with. You learn the power of ritual, whether you name it as a sacred ritual or not, but this rhythmic activity, things you do time after time, which kind of carry you through it when you're too weary to carry through on your own strength. And a good ritual also connects you to your larger purpose, reminds you why you're there, and to a wider community, perhaps. You learn to rely on others. 
Now that's a little ironic because many people undertake pilgrimages, at least in the modern era, to show their own strength and their self-reliance. Well, that illusion is quickly shattered. Now I don't mean uh, there's something wrong with empowerment. Uh, pilgrimage brings that for sure. But this notion that you can do it all by yourself, well, that usually goes away in short order. And that's the good news because the, these moments of grace happen when you know you need someone else and that someone just appears. And then uh, a little bit of shared food and a little bit of shared drink all of a sudden becomes sacrament. A sign with ordinary stuff that something extraordinary and divine is going on. Directions feel like uh, an angel from heaven when you're tired and hungry and cold. You, you learn to receive grace when it comes your way, if it's a clearing in the sky after a couple of days of rain, or when it actually starts going downhill after your leader said it would be flat the whole way. You learn the limits of your own body, even as you push them, and that becomes grace in and of itself. You learn uh, the, really the beauty of simplicity Lying under a tree with just your pack as your pillow, you realize how little you need in this world. And then when the rest is over, you learn the equally important lesson of, of a good walking partner. When you have to keep going, even if you don't want to. Someone who can and, uh, talk to you and keep you company. Or sometimes it's better that they don't talk and that you walk in quiet. Someone with whom you can sing or you can pray or just be. Someone who can just lift your pack enough on the hill to make it manageable. Those people in ancient Israel needed all of those things and they certainly needed a, a God to lead them along the way. I, I was looking over as I'm doing my research a book uh, I read some time ago by a Catholic sister named Joyce Rupp spiritual writer too, and she recounted uh, walking the Camino in Spain with a friend. And in her life lessons that happen along the way on pilgrimage, she included the requirement of being lost. Because being lost encapsulates all of those other lessons. You have to rely on somebody else. You realize your own limitations, even if they're just cognitive. Um, you have to figure out how you're going to approach whatever situation. Am I going to just be terrified in fear that I'm lost or will I choose to say this is an adventure? It throws everything in the entire journey right before you in an instant. Now, have you ever been lost like that? I mean, totally lost. And then all of a sudden, you, you were found. You, you made your way back somewhere or another. Have you had that experience in life before? I remember when I was in college, I was an exchange student in Germany, and we were out one night uh, later than public transportation ran, uh, studying, studying, and um, he laughed, and uh, so I had to get home, and it was not a short distance, so I started walking, I actually think I started jogging, and I don't know how long I ran, I was in such a haze from studying, and um, no, I'm, no, just, no, now I'm exaggerating, it was not... It's not that kind of night. But, um, and, I, and I went on for, I don't know how long. It felt like hours. I'm not sure how long it was. I was in neighborhoods I'd never seen before. I mean, I just on and on. And sometime before daybreak came, mysteriously, I look up and I'm home. Now, how does that happen? 
I mean, is that God stepping in to lead me home? The psalm seems to indicate that God is that present and, and that involved in the journey. I mean, listen to these words. They're, they mark a rather remarkable promise coming from God. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. Now that's amazing, considering it's written by ancient Israelites, that they would hold to a promise such as that, considering they had spent so much time in bondage, in slavery. And then generations died as they wandered lost for freedom. These were people who experienced exile, who experienced oppressive foreign rule. And yet they sing a song that God would protect them even from the hot sun and would shield them from the moon at night from all evil. I don't know. It seems to me God does protect you until God doesn't. And I think most of us know someone or maybe we've been someone who has experienced far worse than hot sun in the day or the moonlight at night, experienced evil in some form or another. I, you've heard the past couple of weeks over this month that my family praying for a pastor named Scott Hauser. No relation to my wife. They share the same last name, different spelling, just colleague in ministry. Scott was a, um, a, a pastor in a couple of different places, a young, talented guy, four kids, 37 years old, looked very fit, um, but had a persistent cough. And so uh, they thought it was pneumonia. They couldn't get a handle on it, so they did some tests. And it turns out he had cancer. And within a month, he was gone. Four kids, uh, one baby. Can I, can I show you his picture? Could I do that? Let's see if this thing is awake. That's him. It'll warm up a little bit. It's not the greatest quality, but you get a sense, and you can move if you want. Um, but, but that's him, um, about how he looked um, near the end before he got sick. That wasn't the picture I wanted to show you, but I knew you wanted to see his face, so I'd start there. This is one of our favorite pictures. And I don't know if you can see that or not because the glare coming in. But that's him walking three of his children to school. You see him from the back. The fourth was a baby, so you wouldn't, you, he wouldn't have been going to school yet. This is them looking back at the camera, smiling. Beautiful family. As my wife said, um, I think last week during prayer time, no one should have to bring a baby bag to your funeral, to your spouse's funeral, which is what that family had to do. Faithful man, stronger faith than mine, I assure you that. Where's God in that? God protect him? God protect those children? I mean, it's a fair question. And the best I can figure, there are about three possibilities. One, the psalm isn't true, right? Two, it only applied to pilgrimages to Jerusalem made by ancient Israelites, and they all made it safely. Or three, there's another meaning there. It's true, but it's true in a different way. 
It's true, but there's a deeper truth buried in it. And I think you can tell where I fall on those three options. Of course it's not true in a simplistic way. Of course your foot will be moved. It's a pilgrimage psalm. Your foot is going to be moved every second. Of course the sun shall strike you by day. They're not making pilgrimage to Seattle. They're going to Jerusalem. Of course they'll see the moon at night. And of course they'll encounter evil. Those roots in ancient times probably more than modern times, were dangerous. Thieves and robbers along the way. Of course, all those things would happen. So there must be something else going on. And the something else, I believe, is that God is not promising to shield the people from those things, but God is promising to go the road with the people so that it will feel as if you are untouchable because you will know that the one who made heaven and earth walks by your side. I think the mystery is answered in two lines that follow those lines I've quoted in the psalm itself. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. You will not be kept safe but you will be kept. You will be accompanied in your going out and your coming in, and most of life is going out and coming in. Most of life is neither on the mountain nor in the temple, but it's on the road. And that's where you're going to meet God most of all. We would like our our lives to work out according to our neat plan in a linear fashion where we know exactly where we're going and nothing throws us off course. But most of us who are honest know that that's not how life works. And so the questions that come to us is, are, are we alone? Is all of this in vain? Or are we kept? Are we being led even through the valley of the shadow of death? I don't know how many of you read Wendell Berry, but he's got a wonderful novel called Jaber Crow. Anybody read this here? It's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I, ho- I hope you have a chance to read it. It follows a man, the character's name is Jaber Crow, and he is uh, an orphan as a child, as the story goes, grows up to study Bible, study Christianity, uh, becomes a barber in a small rural Kentucky town becomes the sexton at the church and the grave digger. And this is what he says about how his life journey has unfolded. If you could do it, I suppose, it would be a good idea to live your life in a straight line, starting, say, in the dark wood of error and proceeding by logical steps through hell, purgatory, and into heaven. Or you could take the king's highway past appropriately named dangerous toils and snares and finally cross the river of death and enter the celestial city. That is not the way I've done it so far. I am a pilgrim, but my pilgrimage has been wandering and unmarked. Often what has looked like a straight line to me has been a circling or a doubling back. I've been in the dark wood of error any number of times. I have known something of hell, purgatory, and heaven. 
but not always in that order. The names of many snares and dangers have been made known to me, but I've seen them only in looking back. Often I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I've had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me or I have gone to it mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often I have received better than I deserved. Often my fairest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley. And yet for a long time, looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Make of that what you will. We're in Lent. When we walk with Jesus into the wilderness, where there's no clear way forward, but a lot of danger awaits. Have we so clothed Jesus in lace in church that we think it was easy for him to face the tempter? That he was unafraid to stare evil in the face? That he wasn't unsure or scared how he would get through that time with no food? Or is it possible all of those things were so, but he was able to come through it, trusting in the unbelievable reality that he was being led, that his spirit was so in tune that he had God as his walking partner? I'm going to show you one more picture of Scott. I don't know if you can see it, um, but this is, uh, that's him presiding in worship over the baptismal font. What I love about that picture is you can't tell if the water is coming up or if it's going down. Because in this life, blessings come and go, they flow. Grace comes to us on the road, and it's taken from us. Life appears, and death shows up uninvited. But you don't have to wait to the end to encounter resurrection. Resurrection can meet you all along the way and burst open new life and new possibilities where you thought the gravestones had already been planted. Now, I, I assume he didn't know he was dying when that picture was taken. But from those who knew him better than I, I can assure you that he wouldn't have changed his pose one iota. Because his faith wasn't rooted in some simplistic notion that the sun would never hit him, or that the moon would hide from him, or that he would never encounter evil, or that he would never encounter sickness. His faith, probably stronger than mine, was rooted in a firm trust that God would lead him through. And so now he's walking where one day all of us will walk and where our ancestors have already gone, gone on that mysterious path, the shape of which we don't know. And it's easy to be frightened in the face of that. But the only thing that keeps me from feeling lost in the face of that reality 
is likewise the trust that we'll be led and we're being led right now. That's how I experience it. But you make of it what you will. Amen.
You may be seated. I invite you to take a look at what is coming up here in the life of the church and get involved. Just a couple things to highlight for you. You all are invited immediately following worship into Finlay Hall, where our team that went to the border a few weeks ago is going to be presenting some pictures and some stories from their trip. So you're invited in for that when we are done in here. And also, Liz Arnold is heading up a Habitat for Humanity workday this coming Saturday. The development up in Novato is getting close to done. They're really on the final stretches and very much in need of volunteers to be able to finish up that project in Novato. So if you're able to help on Saturday, please see Liz after worship. And now I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 45. You're going out and you're coming in, God will forever lead. So as you go forth from this place, go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are invited.